0: Hi, it's Susie. Before we begin, I just want to warn you that this episode contains discussions about suicide and mental health. If you need mental health support or just someone to talk to, there's links to information, help and advice in the show notes. My bins, they overflow. Been rejected by the bin man. My holdings out of control Don't want to bring back any one-night stands You're scared to talk about it Don't want to make a scene Can't get that loft extension So I live in a landfill of memories Hiya! I'm Susanna Romato, but you can call me Susie. And this is the Landfill of Memories podcast. My stage show, Landfill of Memories, came about because I had a breakdown. And through that breakdown, I discovered that I was a hoarder. And in this podcast, we look back at all the things that we keep for the memories. We've all heard that one before, right? Keep it for the memes, put it on the InstaGrid. From sentimental objects to the most silly things, we relive each item's story and hear about the part they've played in our lives. And as an owner of over 500 train tickets, a ridiculous amount of receipts and a phenomenal amount of photos, I finally come to recognise the power of letting things go. So in this podcast, I ask my guests to bring in three things that remind them of significant moments in their lives. An item that reminds them of a childhood memory. An item that reminds them of a tough time. And an item that reminds them of such an amazing memory, they'll treasure it forever. And then, at the end of the conversation, we'll find out whether they'll keep the memory or decide to shred it into pieces. Ian Porter, not to be confused with Dr Ian Porter, is the MC of Hoarders Helping Hoarders Peer Support Group across Merseyside and Greater Manchester. or as he likes to coin it, the certified roadie for the hardest working band in the Northwest. He's been working with people who exhibit hoarding behaviour since 2017 and there is a network of seven peer support groups across the northwest, growing every week. Ian is also a trained psychologist. He works with, learns from, and is in awe of people who live with hoarding disorder. It was really great to catch up with Ian. I've been attending his group for a while now, and I found our chat in the studio so fascinating. Here he is. <laughs> Hello, Ian Porter. Welcome to the Landfill of Memories podcast.
1: Thanks very much. It's (laughs) lovely to be here.
0: How are you feeling today? I'm good. As you know, we've known each other for a while now. Yeah. And uh, I'm a hoarder and I find it difficult to part with my things. But in your house at the moment, do you have any possessions that are gathering a little bit of dust? Do you have that shit drawer that just needs cleaning?
1: Yeah, the shit drawer is there, sort of twins or, or triplets there. One of them is that kind of one that's got, you know, the wires in. Uh, yep. Yeah, always. You know, that'll come in handy one day. How often have I heard that in my uh, work over the last five or six years? And there's one that's, um, believe it or not, still, Molly, my daughter's 14 now, but there's still a craft drawer there. Mm. I'm not particularly creative, but when you um, have a child, you learn very quickly from the likes of Mr Maker and, what, you know, daytime television sort of thing. Um, and I looked the other day I thought, I've still got that craft drawer, you know. So what's, what's in there? Cardboard rolls, you know, from the um, kitchen. Oh, rolls and that's all cardboard. You, honestly, what are you you wouldn't believe <laughs> anyway. Um, I should have bought one today. And um, there's bits of ribbon. There's old uh, bits of um, sort of wood. Little corner wood, bits um, of wood, it, bits of wood, yeah. For
0: gluing, For, yeah. PGA glue.
1: And there's some glue that, well, sorry, it's probably X glue now. Um, <laughs> you know, no yeah, just in all use. sorts of stuff like that. So yeah.
0: you say you've got three of these drawers. Do you have one that just has a little bit of everything? Yeah,
1: the top drawers, batteries, yeah, keys. What else? I've got it actually quite organised into little plastic bags. I must have gone through a kind of tidy phase but not throw away so it's a little bit more mm. organised than the other two. But that's got, you know, bits and bobs of little, you know, Allen keys and screwdrivers and,
0: yeah. Screws, fuses, miscellaneous items galore. That's, yeah. well, they're one of my favourite drawers. Yeah. Open it, look and go, yeah, 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 shut
1: that Shut <laughs> They're still there. Well <laughs> done. It'll come in handy, one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. That is exactly what it feels like. Oh, so this podcast is all about looking back at things for the memories, and we look back at all these memorable items that we've kept throughout the years. But before deciding if we're going to shred or keep them, we're going to have a look at them individually. So let's start then with the first one, which is your childhood memory. Um, so what item have you brought in for us today that reminds you of your childhood? Can you describe it to our lovely listeners? Well,
1: um, it's childhood-ish. And this was one of the first photographs that was ever taken of me by my mum and dad. And I look maybe between one and two. And I'm sitting on a couch and I've got um, one of those kind of cheesy halos on. Goodness knows why my mother thought that that was a good look. My mum's glasses on. <laughs> and I'm reading a newspaper. Or I'm looking at a newspaper <laughs> called The Empire News. And what happened was... My dad said, hey, that's a really cool photograph. And they sent it to the Sunday people.
0: What's the Sunday people? It was a, um,
1: uh, a Sunday uh, newspaper okay. at the time, in the kind of late 50s. You'll probably need to Google oh. late 50s later. Um, and they sent it um, to the people and they said, look, you know, is Ian Reed in one of your newspapers, Empire News. But they couldn't print it because the headline, it was a disaster it was, I think, a ship had, you know, sunk or, I don't know, something, you know, a tower block. Not a tower block, but something had collapsed. Mm. And they didn't really tune into it. And obviously it wasn't affecting me because I was only 18 months old. So they said, listen, thanks for very much, delivery photo, but we can't use it. And then I get kind of senior lecturer-ish at um, one of my first uh, universities. It was Liverpool Hope uh, University. And I was invited to uh, a seminar at the Institute for Health, which is pretty, you know, prestigious and all the rest of it. So what I did was I took the photograph and I changed the... Well, I got a colleague in the Department of Psychology to change the headline that says, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be Researcher of the Month. And that was the poster that they put up around the Institute for Health um, when they invited me. It was called Paradise Lost Paradigm Found Hard (laughs) Facts and Soft Science in Health Research. Now... Another lovely thing about this is that my mum came to see me. It's the only time she's ever been in a classroom or a lecture theatre or whatever when I was there. And obviously the place was sold out, you know what it's like. And uh, went down a storm. So I chose this. And then when I uh, she kept it in an album. And when I turned it over, it's got a message to my brother on it. And it says, Martin... If you want to change the pants, do it today, (laughs) underlined. Man, P.S., receipt in bag, right? (laughs) Now, the reason that's quite cool is that, you know, the receipt, he would have kept hold of that. (laughs) Bro, if you're listening to this, I've just outed you on uh, kind of, you know, national radio. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That was in an album that she kept and and gave to me ages ago. I just put it on top of the bookshop. You are
0: exceptionally cute. (laughs) Well, like,
1: look. Who isn't it? Eighteen. You're months, shi- you've got
0: shiny hair because obviously, yeah. pho- obviously it's a black and white photo. Obviously it's a black and white photo. You've got. Is that a little hat? you're yeah. well done sitting up. Glasses. Yeah. on, reading the newspaper. You know. A seminar by Ian Porter, and of course now you run seminars and you uh, you basically run the hoarding sector here in the UK. <laughs> so I met you at Hoarders Helping Hoarders. Yeah. Uh, the peer group over in Merseyside, which changed my life. It really has, yeah. you know, I didn't realise that I had such a big issue with my hoarding until I came to that group until I found my people, as it were, who had been through very similar experiences to me and also similar emotional experiences too you know it's a very chatty group the merseyside group you know sometimes there's this idea that you know you go to these group sessions and it's all awkward and quiet certainly not the merseyside group i love going we're all just really chatty we chew each other's ear off but for people who don't understand hoarding and don't understand what it's like can you tell me exactly what hoarding is and how it manifests itself can you describe it for us
1: the best way to think about it is that um I'll give you an example, say, from... um, I don't believe it's a discrete disorder, by the way, either. A lot of people will disagree uh, with that, but we'll have a chat for 20 minutes and decide I was right. So I don't think it's a discrete disorder, but when it manifests, it manifests in a number of fairly predictable ways, but that's all people see. Mm -hmm. They just see this thing called hoarding behaviour. Whereas I want to open the conversation out and open the narrative out and say, no, I see it as a confluence. So a confluence, number of rivers flowing into one. And this one is just this thing called hoarding behaviour. But it's what goes before, Susanna. Mm. That's the most important thing. It's what actually influence. So when we look at people, we should see the person, not the hoard. That's Mm. the most... Fundamentally, that's the most important thing. And that's really the model that we use. But it is effectively not what you've got why you've got it and how you think about it. Mm -hmm. So um, you can have a lot of stuff. It's not against the law. But if you, um, for example, if it sustains you and the thought of parting causes, you know, a fair amount of distress, Mm -hmm. then you may well be on the way. One of the issues um, that I mention often to people is that having a lot of stuff isn't a problem unless it stops you from doing something. So I used to work with people who heard voices when there was nobody else in the room. Now, if I'm hearing voices and that voice is on my shoulder and it's saying nice things about me and how you know how much you look like George Clooney, that voice can stay there all day as far as I'm concerned. But if that voice changes the content and it's saying things like, yeah, maybe try go and kill yourself. That's a whole different matter. Mm. Um, and very similar to uh, a lot of so-called um, disorders, um, they all have defining features. So if you, to ask people, look, what defines anxiety? They may say something like, oh, a perception of threat, and then a bodily response. But you say to people, what defines hoarding? They mm. say, That's ah, just having." too much stuff in your home so really hoarding is defined by what's in your home mm. whereas it should be defined yes. by what's in your
0: head absolutely absolutely I think if I think about what those rivers lead into the big one are I think for me i probably seeing my parents do it yeah seeing both my mum and dad pour things for pretty much all of my life um and then when my dad passed away, having inheriting his stuff was like, yes, look how much stuff I've got, yeah. and this is going to be fucking great. Yeah. I got all this stuff, <laughs> and only until I explored that feeling in the show, that was a really big thing. And then I think when my sister passed away, and my mum wouldn't, you know, didn't facilitate me having much of her stuff. I think that's when it went into overdrive a little bit. Okay. wasn't able to have any of her things. And only now, 10 years on, my mum is given me some photos of us and some cards that I sent her and... I've also got my sister's Mac, which is so old now. It still turns on, but I can't upgrade it, so I can't actually use it as a laptop, which is fine. But just to have... Have It it was wrapped in a cloth, and it still smelled like my sister. After all these years, it's been like 10, 11 years now. And I think, in a way, that it's been really difficult because my hoarding in the 10 years of not having her stuff has manifested greatly in other things. Mm. Whereas now that I've got that stuff, it's actually okay. because if I would have had all of it, I, I mean, I think I probably... (laughs) would be in a different place as it was. So is there something to look out for when we think about hoarding behaviours or hoarding as a mental illness in our friends and family and our close ones?
1: Well, the the obvious thing is it's... A lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, perhaps um, not being invited in. Last uh, year, we organised the Northwest Regional Hoarding Conference and we called it Behind Closed Doors for a reason mm-hmm. because the social and self stigma associated with this are enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, we just take the self-stigma, never mind the kind of, you know, hoarders buried in stuff, you know, monsters buried, um, being othered by Mm. the media. Uh, And what they do is they reduce um, our people it's a lovely phrase that you use when you and you did it again when you last came back to the mm. group as well. It's a beautiful phrase, "my people," and what they do is they reduce um, our people to little more than eccentric novelties that can be cured with a couple of skips and some tough love, mm. and it never works, and it doesn't work for a reason. Mm. So, you know, when you notice somebody or if they do come and say, look, I may have a little bit of an issue here. If you're a neighbour or a friend or a family member, I say, get in touch with us. Let's have a chat. Mm -hmm. You're not grassing somebody up, you know, because if they want to speak to us, they won't. Um, But it's that behind closed doors. it, It is that shame. And of course, what happens then, the more you retreat, the more you build. The comfort blankets. Yeah. One of the group refers to as hair comfort blanket. You yeah. know, the people use the idea of a defence because they've been under attack for so many years. Because mm. um, that's another issue, isn't it? We never... Yeah. You know, I'm kind of waiting for the phone call where somebody says, Ian, can you help me? I just started hoarding yesterday. You know, it doesn't happen. No. It's chronicity over time.
0: Yes, yes. And it really does build, because only when you realise that you've got an issue and you look back at all the stuff and you're like, oh, actually, I can't move in my... I can't move in my space and it's starting to, I remember one of our first conversations, you just checked in with me before I came and you just said, can you move around your room? Are you able to move around? And I I literally sat in my bed and I could feel myself getting like feeling like I was going to cry. And I was like, I can, but I know that, and I didn't say this to you on the phone, but I said, I can move around. I'm fine and I'm safe. But in the back of my mind, I was also like, that, why has that question triggered me yeah. in such a way where I am now worried about how this is going to expand or get yeah. worse? And I'm so glad that I was able to just have that moment of awareness yeah. on how this could explode if I don't look after myself. That's the thing for me. It's that safety. Yeah.
1: Really important. Check that out. People... Um, in the statutory services, throw self-neglect and hoarding together. No, we gotta separate them out. The self-neglect side is, you know, a different phenomenon. Actually, it goes under the erroneous title of Diogenes Syndrome, which is erroneous because Diogenes didn't, a uh, Greek philosopher, didn't uh, neglect himself. But we've got to focus in on these, you know, activities of daily living that everyone else takes for granted, but we can find quite problematic for Mm. a number of reasons, not least of which is a lack of space.
0: Mm. And in the seminars, you explore all of these things that we've just been talking about. So, you know, space, the kind of stigmas around what borders look like, and just going back to your first memory of you reading a newspaper and and talking about, you know, doing your first seminar. Where is this usually kept?
1: Uh, Usually kept in an album Mm -hmm. uh, with... um, Thank you cards and some photographs that I was given when I left uh, Liverpool Hope. There's a few other things in there: photographs, certificates, you know, mm. courses that I did, qualifications, all that sort of. So, oh, there's an early CV at the beginning as well. Um, I looked at it the other night. Oh, cool! I did all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's in an album then that sits on the top shelf. Of a bookcase, which is right. where all the albums are, because yeah. you know the top shelf is—you know—you can build, you can stack it up. These
0: are the IKEA shelves where you can exactly change the shelves the right. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's where it is. So it's time for the question: Are we going to shred or are we going to keep?
1: I think this one I'm going to shred. <gasps> yeah, I think I am. And um, amazing. I think if my brother's listening now, he's probably thinking he wants the back of this yeah. really. <laughs> So, what I've done is I've taken a photograph of the back and I'm going to send it to him later because by then it'll be too late to go to <laughs> <in> the
0: front. <laughs> He's going to listen to yeah, it. God, yeah. Where is that? So,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to shred that. Okay.
0: okay. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you on this. Oh. So, if you would like to take your place, so it's it's quite an old shredder. It's from like 1997, I think, or something. Okay. So, um, yeah.
1: How, how many of these have you got? Just
0: one. Oh, just one. Just one. one. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, i just in the top there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey! Oh, wow. Look at that. Ian, how do you feel?
1: See how quickly memories can go. <laughs> the other thing is as well that the people that we work with, they actually don't, they forget how powerful the memory is mm. and how good their memories are. I need to keep this because I'll forget. Actually, you know, if it's important, you won't.
0: Yes. Honestly,
1: most yeah. of the time. or there'll be something else that will trigger it. doesn't need to be an item.
0: Wow. But so how are you with, feeling about shredding? I, I was OK. You
1: know, I was OK with that one. Um there's a couple of things I could have brought that I would I'd, I'd probably procrastinate a little while <laughs> over. Um, but no, I was OK uh, with that one. It's solid. It's in my head. You know, I'll remember it. Um, yeah. I won't remember it all the time, but I certainly won't forget it if somebody, you know, prods me in the right direction.
0: That's it. I- For me, it feels like a sense of relief as well. I think I'm shredding it. Move on to the second memory. So, I to bring something a tough time. So, yeah. what's the second memory? And if you're happy to introduce and describe it for us,
1: yeah, th- this was of the three. This was the toughest decision to make, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the number of reasons for it. And I've gone for um, that. There are two things really. I, I couldn't decide which one. Um, one is um, a newspaper report that's written by a local uh, journalist in Liverpool called Jim Davis, a.k.a. The Corinthian. And he writes about all the amateur football teams, on, what used to be the Pink um, Echo, uh, on a Saturday. And in 2009, within two years, I got married, moved house, had a child, and taken early retirement. I was working at national level. Um, at the National Institute for Mental Health in England, and I'd always lived to work, Susanna. That's what I do. I love it, you know, and they have got careers in nursing, psychology, and I just love it. And Molly came along in 2008. So I'd taken out of retirement, and over the next year it was pretty tough because all of those things are beautiful things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it started to take its toll, and then I was finding it difficult to actually find me because it was all-consuming, you know, and so sure it should be. You've got a baby there, and look, get over it. We were having a chat before about the bloke thing, weren't mm. we? Oh, isn't it wonderful? No, you're a parent. Go and do what you need to do. Mm. And I was struggling. I was struggling, and somebody always said to me, look, what do psychologists do when they're not... I what do you mean? They don't treat themselves. They go and see other psychologists. I really should have taken my own advice on that one. So we get into two thousand and nine, and I started to think about my dad because you know he was never going to meet his granddaughter, and you know she comes into the world. Mortality is the first thing that comes into your head, with certainly into mine. My- and um, I started to think, I've got to get something for me. So I wanted to write a book about uh, a very famous amateur football side in the 1950s called Soulsby Athletic, which was my father's uh, side. Mm-hmm. And they were history uh, makers. So I started to do some research, found the old secretary and manager, Mr. McLaughlin, and went to see him. I said, look, you give us an interview. I'm going to write about this. They used to call them the Solly, the Solly boys. And he went, oh, and he said, they're thinking about reforming a young side, you know, or an open age mm-hmm. side I said, really? He said, yeah, but they're not going to call them Soulsby Because the Salisbury was a pub These were all kind of pub ah. teams And I thought, oh, that might be interesting Let's reform So I did Eventually God, I said, you know, if I'm going to run the club Then it's Salisbury Athletic Football Club We've got a history, here it is Let's go and in the first year they won their first you know premier uh, league championship for 50 years and wow. i thought that was a wow. big deal yeah uh, and it was really emotional for me mm. they blew it off they thought we just won another another gong for us was for me it was huge so i sent jim the photograph and he was going to use the the title history boys But he just right the way across the centre spread there, the Solly make history. Mm. And he's gone into a little bit of detail about, you know, the 1950s. And uh, my father's team had to fold because Mm. there were a number of incidents. Um, So what we've done right the way through the season was we'd actually, when we made a a programme or, you know, a DVD, we actually twin them. So that's the 50s side. And that's the 2009-10 side. So there was always this connection Mm -hmm. there. And that was really important to me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when they started to talk about, oh, you know, playing football, I said, hey, you shouldn't even know what it was like in the 50s for these people who were coming from poverty and, you know, managed to literally pull themselves up. A couple of uh, players in that team didn't even own a pair of football boots for years. You know, Mm -hmm. So that was really important. And it was for me.
0: Cool. So why does this particular item of the, the pink sheet... it you call it a pink sheet? Not a pink sheet, pink paper. Yes, yeah, it's the pink echo. The pink echo. Yeah. Why does this remind you of that difficult time? Like, why this particular story? I think
1: because no matter how much that you give, and there are people who are givers, so to speak, and I may be one of them, you'll have to ask other people about that, but I think the lesson is don't forget to... Hold a little bit back for yourself Mm. So that's the most important thing This was mine You know, it wasn't that Oh, got a daughter Therefore I can't do anything This actually belonged to me Mm. It was my comfort blanket It's difficult to describe But you try to describe it With a bit of humility But, you know, I've done a few things Mm. And I've, you know, it was Warhol Who said, you know, those 15 minutes of fame By the way, he was a hoarder, Andy Warhol Was he? Uh, Yeah
0: and Greatest. they said
1: that everybody gets these 15 minutes of fame in life. And I've had a few, you know, just little. But you think, oh, you know what? I was kind of, you know, yeah, you know who's hot and who's not type of thing, mm. you know, and I did OK. And this was one of those times mm. where, you know, I wasn't playing the football, but I was there orchestrating and administrating and writing mm. and, you know, meeting people from, you know, my father's history, Mm. you know, and that was really important. There was a great connection with him because, you know, we didn't always, you know, get on. um, And he died in 1996, you know, quite, you know, suddenly, and it it wasn't pleasant. Mm. So it was my way of connecting with my dad Developing something that people could in the local area because Bootle's this is where I'm from. It's Bootle. It used right. to be called Brutal Bootle, you know. And it's a, an area that you wow. know has known its um its yeah. problems, but tremendous spirit. Yeah. I once asked my mother to define someone from Bootle, and she said someone from Bootle is a person who isn't readily impressed by anything or anybody. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> you know, I'm there, and they're calling me prof and all sorts. They're just not impressed at all. <laughs> You know? But anyway, so, yes, and it was an amazing way to finish off a first mm-hmm. season, no guarantees in the in football, mm-hmm. and they absolutely smashed they it. They smashed it, yeah. Yeah, On a Thursday night, I remember it well.
0: Oh, well, you know, sorry that you went through such a difficult time. How do you feel talking about it now and just reflecting on it?
1: Oh, still emotional. Yeah. If I brought in some other things, mm-hmm. for example, the person who's just in that photograph there... Which is why I purposefully got to say, So You're taking me anything of mind, Dad. I said, I am, but I'm not going to talk about it because no. I'll get emotional because she's an amazing human being. But I bought the duck for luck uh, as well, which again, we have. Yeah, some... do you want
0: to show it to the camera? We've got a little tiny duck uh, yeah. here. Little, duck little for ducky. Luck.
1: <sighs> and uh, she gave us that when we were going through some hard times um, after separation, divorce, Molly came with me. And yeah, it was a tough time. And. Um, I was trying to get a job and mm. and I couldn't because people were looking saying, we don't often get applications from, you know, people with your background. And mm. it was things like library assistant and, you know, co-op working in the supermarkets. And uh, there was a, a secretary's post and a garage I play for because uh, I didn't want to go back to mm. the so-called highfalutin or the senior exec, blah, blah, blah. Um, And there was one time when I applied for a a post in football administration. I thought I've got this, you know. And I'd been out of work for you know about six years. National Institute Mental Health thing no Mm. longer existed.
0: So you took early retirement at the same. So you so you wanted to go back to work, or you had to go back to work. Had to go back. You had to go back. It was
1: 2008. She was born. So this was round about maybe six or seven years later. Mm. Um, And went for this football administration post, and I didn't Mm. get it. I came back, said, did you get it, Dad? I said, no. And she said, were you wearing odd socks? And I went, no. And she went, (laughs) Dad, I said, I didn't know. know. She was six years (laughs) old, just made it up as she went on. So I've got odd socks on every day ever since. And she said, Dad, is a duck for luck. And the next job I went for was was um, when I first got into this thing called hoarding mm. and it was a graduate position in social housing, so more uh, Bancroft than Hoffman. D-
0: I don't You're get gonna that. You're going to need
1: to Google that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I took the odd socks, duck for luck, and I got it. And I was the oldest swinger in that, <laughs> I don't know how many, about 10, 15, all these kind of amazing young people just out of university and I got the job, you know.
0: That's amazing. And that's yeah. a lesson for us all, isn't it? Yeah. If you go for a job interview, odd socks and a duck for and luck. a
1: duck for luck, yeah. That's what
0: we all need. I'm going to go actually get a few ducks. I'm going to yeah. give them out to people. Yeah. I think that's a nice little thing, a duck for luck.
1: Well, it's great because it comes with me everywhere. So all the Does sessions, it? all the workshops, everything that I do, I just put it in my pocket. You know?
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. It's a real beautiful token. I just want to reflect on being single dad, raising a daughter. It's something that I went through with my dad. My dad was retired when he had me and he didn't go back to work, but growing up, Growing up as a single dad with, you know, from a kind of migrant background, we've got an Italian yeah. background, you know, is very, very difficult, very strange. I think dad's bringing up daughters in general, I think a lot of people think is very strange and weird. Mm. Um, but my dad was in his 50s when he had me and he passed away in his 80s. So, so old and, and you know I'd see my mum at the weekends and stuff but it, it's a very special relationship that dads and daughters have and, and people just don't get it. It's yeah. very loving, very caring. My dad was very overprotective though, very overprotective okay. um, with the kind of Italian background yeah. of don't wear makeup, don't go out, don't have friends that are boys, do well at school, don't speak to anyone. Um, basically you know. And you, apart from that anything goes. Yeah, you can get married when you're 30 and then you may be allowed to have sex then well
1: (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe you
0: might be able to um but only on his terms but yeah so i think it's really special and i think it it shouldn't be a taboo for dad to have bring up a daughter like why is it you know everyone always says oh, the mum usually gets the children and it's like well in this instance my mum You know, it just didn't happen. Not that she didn't want to, didn't have the facilities to do it, you know. And my dad didn't go back to work, but he kind of degenerated when I left for uni in my early 20s. And I think that accelerated his... Stuff when you're at home and you're not really doing yeah. much, you're not going out to work, and kind of wish that you did have a part-time job at being queue or because that's where all the old people go, don't they? They just go to being queue and get. Yeah. Well, the working. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, volunteer you, at the theatre. Uh, is that my
1: future? <laughs> is that, is after that, I can see coming down. The...
0: After you franchise yeah. the hoarders helping hoarders group, <laughs> you can go and work yeah. in being yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm gonna take Mal with me. Yeah, he can do anything. Yeah, he's one of them. Make do and mend. Fifty, 50 you
0: know. drills. So that yeah. guy's got fifty yeah. drills.
1: I was fifty-one. Where you for 51. Because we had a 50-50, you know, sort of shared response. Share. My mum yes. was fantastic. Yeah. You know, My mum, tremendous. Yeah. But a 51, and I was again, people we just chatting before there's this, there is this thing called dadism. Mm. You know, and I take exception to it. There's an ism there. People look and think, oh, mm. older dad. Hmm. Naughty Boy. Yeah, well. so, yeah, Isn't that interesting? You don't know anything about me. Yeah. I was actually living in Dublin and I'd taken a career break and gone to study theatre. Did you? In, yeah. In Dublin, in, yeah, in Dublin. Doing we was Oh, you're an was writing, actor. What? Well, no, Sorry, I, I keep I, talking. I, of you. <laughs> grand. You're you an actor. I, I had an, an idea for a play and I thought, you know what, I've worked all the way through, you know, I thought I'm going to take a, a six-month career break. And the only thing that brought me back was falling in love with Molly's mum. Otherwise, I'd probably stayed there. You oh know, and I brought God. my mum over a couple of times. And you had this great little pad in uh, Dublin. It was, and the place was rocking Dublin. What a place! Yeah. And I was, you know, going to the Abbey. See a local rep, James
0: Joyce. You know, it.
1: There was a statue of Joyce that I passed every day mm. coming up from. Um, oh, I'll remember the. It'll come to me the street in a minute. Onto uh, Connolly uh, Street. Just amazing. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't as, you know, dramatic perhaps as people would have, or, you know, stereotypical as people would have you believe.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Wow, you've done everything. So, what do you think then? To Shred or not to Shred? Oh,
1: Shred, definitely, yeah. It's got to be this one. And the reasons for it is that, I've got to be honest with you, I have got so many memories, so Mm -hmm. many stories, you know, they still remember Soulsby Athletic, Mm -hmm. you know, the 50s side even today, Mm -hmm. because we're from the working class. The working class isn't a written culture. We're an oral culture. Mm -hmm. So the stories of this team in the 50s, and the goal that Mick Joyce scored to win the two thousand nine, the it went from a twenty-five yard volley. It's now about fifty yard volley. got uh, you know it just wow. the myth grows around yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I have no problems at all, and I've, I'm I'm going to do the two of them if that's all right because okay. it's the, the newspaper article that Jim wrote, and then that's the uh, the DVD cover DVD that we, cover uh, made of the
0: okay. All right then, I'm very happy for you. Um, so with the newspaper, might be an idea just to, if you're happy to just put it in, you know where that where the fold is, yeah, and just to split it in half, split just it because it's not as wide. Ah, fold not that it in too. Yeah, the there you go. Oh, right, okay.
1: oh, you've done this
0: before. Haven't you? <laughs> I have but. some experience in shredding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've seen it. I've seen the show. Don't
0: we? Here we so, go. You go. Oh. Very good.
1: A little banksy moment there,
0: (laughs) Wonderful. So that's the newspaper gone through, it's the DVD cover.
1: Okay, and then the DVD cover. Only lost one game all season. (laughs) Sorry, I just needed to remind myself (laughs) that I won't forget it, that won't forget. (laughs) There you go.
0: Wonderful. How are you feeling? What's your initial That's thoughts? That's
1: kind of liberating for me, that, you know, because mm. I think, look, there's another example for, you know, everybody and for me that you don't need to keep stuff. It's lovely. There's nothing again. Again, it's, you know, I not want to get on people's cases, but there are times when what happens here, you know, is a lot more powerful.
0: Mm. just going back to hoarding then so like doctors used to think that hoarding was a type of OCD and as we know now it's kind of moved away from that umbrella and it's created its own umbrella as it were so why do you think it's taken so long for doctors experts to kind of take hoarding as seriously as you and I do now
1: um great question I think in the first instance it's because they don't listen to the real experts. So 2013, hoarding disorder suddenly uh, appears in this thing called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, Volume 5. You know, 1,000 pages long lists every known um, mental health disorder. And all it is is a doorstop. So 2013, it goes in and they put it in under OCD as a kind of um, subsection of, mm-hmm. and they referred to it as compulsive hoarding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was a misnomer. Um, and when it was first went into DSM-5, people went, whoopee, it's now a mental health or mental illness now let's see what happens. And I said, you know what, I think people would get more help if it was made a criminal offence. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to make any difference to people's lives, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2016, I think it was, 2016, they took it out of there and put it in its own discreet, you know, category. And did people get any more support? than? Mm-hmm. The... No, no, they did not. No. Listen to the real experts. That's what they need to do, and that's what we do. It's how we roll, isn't it? We have our own definitions.
0: Yes. And you have a lot of your own techniques as well. So the last session that I came to, on your lovely PowerPoint presentation, (laughs) um, there was a graphic, and it was the first kind of point is to, like, acknowledge and then to change and then sustain was the hardest part. Yeah. So can you just talk me through just that graphic again? Well
1: that's that, that's what we refer to as our improvement model. So it's basically just challenge, change, learn sustain you don't need to learn in order to change change see what happens mm. who knows might be good might be bad but it's something it gains that momentum but the sustainability is the hardest thing of all
0: mm. so what, what do yeah. you think is the hardest part of sustaining well i suppose that's a question for myself i guess yeah. why is it hard to sustain um change in hoarding i don't know i think the over it still feels overwhelming Sometimes. I think uh, one of the members came up with 10 minutes, 10 in 10. 10 in 10. So decluttering 10 items in 10 minutes for 10 days or decluttering for 10 minutes in 10 days. Yeah.
1: 10 minutes a day for 10 days or get rid of 10 items in 10 days. Yes,
0: yeah. yes.
1: So um, in terms of the way that we work, the first part of the cycle of improvement, if you like, you mm-hmm. know, creative recovery, mm-hmm. is that we put a challenge into people. So when I'm there, I've got the easy job, because I say to the folks, I'm not the challenge, you are. I'm the challenger. I don't have any answers, I just have the questions. Dead easy. It's great. (laughs) You've got to come up with the answers, but you've got to do it when you're ready, in your own way, under your own terms, but we have to start to move towards it. That's mm. how we roll. It's no use coming to a group, um, any of the uh, network now across the northwest of uh, groups and, you know, tea and sympathy and symptom swapping. That will only take you so far. Yeah. So the other thing is a challenge. So Faustino will come up with a challenge say, OK, 10 minutes a day decluttering for 10 days in advance of the next session, mm. and then let's have a peer feedback, because we refer to the members of the group as peers. And then that will lead to a change of some description. So if you've got a plan, even if you d- can't enact the plan, you think, I can't do it. you come back to the group and we'll say, OK, what stopped you? Mm-hmm. What can we help you with? How can we help you push through? Mm-hmm. But it's also helping people to cope with change
0: because mm-hmm. not easy. No. You know, yeah, who well, finds <laughs> change easy, you know?
1: <laughs> and then once the change is in place, what did you learn from it? And then how can you maintain what it is that you've changed. Mm. In other words, the last thing... You're always going to have a lot of stuff, aren't you? You're never going to live in an ideal home, minimalist environment. Or why should you? But what I'm trying to get people to is their optimum. Yes. And they define that optimum. Mm. And the part of the optimum, the definition of optimum is it's no longer problematic. Mm. It doesn't impact on heat, light, leisure space, functionality, distress, yes. emotionality, etc. Got yeah, to that, and then you come to the group to help you maintain it.
0: Wow. Okay. And it, and can you ever be cured of hoarding? No.
1: Somebody asked me. It was um, one of the regional managers of Onward Homes, and I'm working inside. of are the amazing organisation. They're actually one of the social housing organisations really switched on, got a, a hoarding specialist team, and I'm working with them. They want to improve this team, and I'm working with them. But it was Gareth who said to me, you know, I mean, two questions: Can it be cured? No. How long do people come to the group forever? Or as long as they want.
0: Yeah, that'll be me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. now when we think about hoarding obviously there's that stereotypical um view of like it being old people yeah. or people who are dirty or unclean and you know people that live in these like huge houses um i am not that i am you know young beautiful <laughs> great personality personable you know yeah. clean etc yeah. Yeah. but keep going yeah keep going <laughs> oh well um vivacious adventurous like yeah um but um how do we start to break that stigma? How do we start to break that view that hoarding is just associated with a certain type of person?
1: Yeah. I think we we do it in a number of ways and we've, for example, we made a film uh, that's called Inside Out and it was uh, aimed at um, impacting on the stigma um, and these kind of stereotypical images that people have. Uh, If you look at the Merseyside group, the youngest person in that group 31 Just recently, wasn't it?
0: Is that me? Am I the youngest person? Thirty two
1: now. It really does impact across Mm. the Asians. Now, the main point is, oh, I'm not that bad. There's no such thing as Mm. good or bad. Mm. So what we do is we show something that's, you know, pretty cluttered, the kind of clutter porn type image. (laughs) Say, what are you looking at? He says, no, no, this is your future you're looking at. Mm. So welcome to the group because it's unusual to be able to find people who are younger in order to bring them in and say, okay, let's get you to a level where the rest of your life, you know, you can kick back, you mm. know, smoke a big fat cigar, cocktails, learn to play the oboe, whatever it is that, you know, um, sails your boat mm. rather than be overwhelmed mm. constantly, a daily basis mm. for the next 60 years. Yeah, That's really important. So it isn't older people. It's normally they get to a stage where they think, tipping point, I can't cope, I've got to reach out somewhere.
0: Yeah. And what kind of coping mechanisms... You know, if we think of decluttering now, and and I know a lot of people might think that they're a hoarder or they know someone who's a hoarder. If we just think of techniques and coping mechanisms on just decluttering, I had someone who messaged me on Instagram saying that they saw my show and they decluttered until four in the morning after watching it, which, you know, is great because it just, it piques someone's interest and goes, oh, actually, that is also me. But that's unsustainable. I think decluttering until four in the morning probably might not work for everyone. It might work for some people, how can I declutter? Where where does one person begin?
1: I think you begin by just having a chat about the clutter that's in your head. Mm. We hoard our thoughts as well as everything else. So just try and have a chat with somebody about it, somebody who is not going to be judgmental. So you'll find somebody like us you'll just read them and think, I don't I might not want to come to a group, and you ring. It's out there on the net, hoardershelpinghoarders.com. My number's there. Give us a ring. You know, you can withhold your number. We have a chat. It happened lots of times. We'll mm. have a chat first. In terms of techniques, you have to find your own but start small. Mm. People call it baby steps. No, I like them to be a little bit more stable than baby steps, but small steps. Don't stretch the goals too soon because what you'll end up doing is churning. Mm. So you'll move all the stuff from here to here And then you'll think, no, it looks better back where it was. Mm. And the energy that that takes, that's what I call the Red Queen dance. It's running on the spot just to stand still and it's exhausting and it can paralyse you. And the next minute you think, what's the point? I never get anywhere. And then you get overwhelmed. So if you're going to choose something, choose a category, a small corner, a bookcase, a drawer. And just see and rehearse it because that's all we do. We expose people. We rehearse it, and then we get this thing called habituation, and that means the impact reduces. Mm. High stress levels when you're first, and then it does this, because that's what happens. The more you practise something, mm. the better you become, the less impact it has. Wow. Slightly simplistic yeah. way of yeah. putting it, but that's how you start.
0: Yeah, so small and steady wins the race. So no 10 in 10, is that a good place to start? Yeah. I mean, I still struggle with 10 in 10. Yeah, that's OK. Yeah. Uh, i was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago and i was like i need to start my 10 in 10 and and then because i keep thinking about starting it i don't want to start it i know i'll start it next week i'll start it on monday i'll do it again i'll i'll do it on wednesday you know it never really happens so i think that that for me is a good place to start just 10 in 10 or five and five you know it doesn't have but it's just about 10 (laughs) yeah just
1: one in one (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, and, and that, again, and it doesn't matter what you achieve. Mm. It's what you learn in the first instance. Yes. You know, you don't have to change to learn. You know, sometimes you can learn and think, oh, how do I use this to change? Mm. So the model that we've got, challenge, change, learn, sustain, it rolls off the tongue beautifully. It's quite easy to remember. But we can mix those things up. Mm-hmm.
0: So, moving on to our final item. So, I've asked you today to bring in an item that reminds you of an amazing memory that you'll cherish, if I can say it, (laughs) cherish forever. (laughs) Cherish, cherish, cherish forever. So, what's your last memorable item?
1: Yeah, this is, um, you know, amazing, this um, item, because this was from, you know, i mentioned before about these 15 minutes of fame. Mm -hmm. It's quite a grandiose term, I know, but... When I was at Liverpool Hope University, it was one of those. I've had most of them in Korea. To be honest with you. But it was one of them. I was there for six years. They were unbelievable years, unbelievable. And of course, and I loved it, loved education and, you know, working with, you know, students and across all of the ages as well. And it was a beautiful uh, vibe. And I also spent six years in a nun's bedroom, which was quite cool too. Um, Yeah, because Liverpool um, Hope University used to be the Liverpool Institute of Higher Education either side of a main road. St. Catherine's on this side, the Anglican, and the Catholic, Notre Dame, on the other side. And they joined together in the 1920s, whatever it was, and they were the first institute of higher education to admit women into teacher training. Wow. Yeah, which is really cool, is not wow. it? Wow. So I turn up at uh, LIHE, as it was, about to morph into a university college and then apply for university status. So I get there, and my office on the Notre Dame side, was a nun's bedroom. It used to be a nun's bedroom. <laughs> and the reason that you knew is the windows were just little slits. Slits, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't have, you know, oh, the sisters, we've got to, you know, Hide dignity them. and all that. Hide them from daylight. But this, um, <laughs> were a big reminder for me, because it's a book of poetry that was written by um, one of my uh, students uh, about me. And not all of them, but the majority of them. And it was called Compulsive Observation. And when Molly um, first found this on the bookcase, it was only a couple of years ago, she said, Dad, who wrote this? I said, well, that was one of my students. She said, Dad, she was a student. I said, we didn't have an intimate affair. <laughs> uh, you know, well, not when she was a student, because that is important, though, isn't it? Yes. Because the power Boundaries. relation and all the rest of that yeah. sort of thing. Boundaries. Um, so, yeah. And uh, she gave it to me on the day that she uh, graduated. The reason When I bring this to the group, when we do that, you know, an item that you attach great value to, the reason why I keep this is that this is a one-off. There's nothing like this, Mm, uh, mm. you know, anywhere. She had it bound, and it just reminds me of all of the great times Mm. I loved it. So, you know, before I went into, you know, a lecture theatre, I used to say a little sort of two-syllable phrase to myself. And it was showtime.
0: Showtime, baby.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I know how to work a room and I loved it. Yeah. So we had a great laugh, but the learning that took place and honestly the development that I went through, and it was just amazing, just amazing time.
0: So this book is a poetry book. It is. So are you a big lover of poetry?
1: Yes, I am, but it wouldn't... More my reading, I'm a, you know, obviously a voracious uh, reader, but more towards fiction. Mm. Um, whereas these were poems written uh, about her observations of a mm. bit spooky, yeah. Can, Be, can, you, can know, you recite compulsive observation? <laughs> <laughs> you know Hang on a minute. <laughs> can you
0: recite one for us? Oh, gee, well, a, short well, one. a short one because they're quite long, aren't they?
1: Um, one's called Today, are oh, just two verses. Yeah, go on. It says, Today, words are spoken that cause pain while passion throbs and pulsates like molten lava burning at the core like a reminder of our mortality, and misspent time while people are lying and spending too much money on forgetting. But tomorrow, I may love you. Wow. She's pretty impressive, isn't wow, she? Wow,
0: you delivered that like, yeah. uh, like Oscar Wilde. That was amazing.
1: Yeah, but she was uh, an, an, you know, fabulous uh, student, um, and yeah. And uh, we did have a, a relationship, but it was after I'd left. Um, yeah, I know you have Liverpool to, like, to hammer I, home I, the fact. Yeah, I need to make that absolutely <laughs> clear. So that's, that's really, really uh, special.
0: And do you think about this book often?
1: Yeah. I think about this and all of the people, the students. I mean, honestly, I, the first student who got a distinction at master's level was a single mum with four children. Mm. Amazing. You know, I was part of that. Mm. I was the director of research and postgraduate studies. You know, I was a part mm. of just The legacy of that. that choo, yeah. All the lives that you've touched.
0: Well, it's an amazing memory that you've got here. And uh, how are you feeling about re kind of reflecting on the memory? Not
1: read one for a while, so mm. that was pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. And the only reason I left was to go back to my first love, which was the NHS, otherwise I'd have stayed there. Mm. And somebody offered me a director of research and development post.
0: So then, the question. For this final item uh, and a, an amazing memory that you'll cherish forever to shred or not to shred? Oh definitely not,
1: yeah. I suppose it is shreddable because it's paper <laughs> but not in a million years no. and it it's prior to place and it's, you know, accessible visible on the bookshelf.
0: Yes it has a place that well, you can always, eat. Eat. yeah it's not yeah. just lost in the ether. No. Well I think just listening to you retelling the memory is just, you know, it's liberating just hearing about the memory and it's such a beautiful thing to keep and to remember where it is and can you always go back to it. Yeah. If it makes you happy, shred it. But if it doesn't make you happy, <laughs> also,
1: shred it. also shred it. Yeah. <laughs> but these are the things that I refer to as the untouchables. Yes. If you're working with someone who exhibits hoarding behaviours, don't go anywhere near these things. No. So you'll say to people, you know, those items you attach great value to, wouldn't discard, what percentage of all of the items have you got meet those criteria? Mm. Never goes beyond seventy. So the, the, then the rejoinder is, mm. let's talk about the other 30.
0: Mm. And you're in. That's mm. your
1: starting point, but not the untouchables.
0: Not the untouchables. And I, I know that maybe some people might think, well, everything's an untouchable. Yeah. But if you give people that time, hoarders, that time just to go through things, they'll they'll recognise what's an untouchable and are. what is a moment to yeah. say goodbye to something. So, Ian, as uh, the, the UK MC for <laughs> um, Hoarders <laughs> Helping Hoarders, where can we see you if people are worried or they want to reach out and find out more information about you? You, the Merseyside or Greater Manchester groups um, and Lancashire groups as well, Um, where can we find you? What can we do? Where can they look?
1: So hoardershelpinghoarders.com is the website. Uh, My email address is there, my telephone number's there, the addresses and the meeting times and dates of all of the groups now because we're sort of Preston, Chorley, Wallasey, Sefton, Merseyside, uh, Salford, soon-to-be Oldham, Mm. Tameside... Oh, North Manchester, we've just started too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, come and see one of the shows.
0: Yeah. Well, Ian Porter. <laughs> I was going to say Dr. Ian Porter, but I was getting all out of myself. Thank you very much for being on Landful of Memories.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: If you've been affected by some of the things Ian and I have spoken about, here's where you can get some help. If you're a hoarder like me and you need some help and you live in the north of England, why not get in touch with Ian and his support group? It's Hoarders Helping Hoarders and you can contact him on hoardershelpinghoarders.com and it's a peer support group. There's also national charities like Hoarding Disorders UK. You can contact them on 0330. 133 2310 and their website is hoardingdisordersuk.org if you're struggling with your mental health you can contact the samaritans on 116 123 there's also more info in the show notes as well thank you so much for listening to this episode of landfill of memories the podcast i really hope that you enjoyed the conversation if you did wonderful and it's always appreciated if you could share this podcast with your friends family and fellow hoarders too if you want to hear more, make sure you click the follow button now on whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts. You can also follow me on social media on at of Mems. Many blessings.